What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. All right, guys. Well, welcome to uh, another edition. And I'm excited about this edition. There's not enough time to ask all the questions I have of my next two guests. But uh, welcome to Wellness Inc., where we try to, you know, break it down, make everybody understand what's going on in the world of medicine because it's too much too fast. I'm an old guy. I've been doing this for 24 years. I can't handle it anymore. I know my two guests are probably quite a bit younger than me. So with, without further ado, uh, let me bring on these two rock stars. Uh, Dr. Deepak Dugar is a Beverly Hills board certified plastic surgeon specializing in rhinoplasty. And we're going to talk a little bit more about his special technique. But this guy's a rock star. Uh, and he's behind some of the prettiest and most natural looking noses you see on celebrities and social media, which is everywhere. He is, his appearances on CBS daytime talk show, The Doctors TV, E! News. This guy's always bringing the cutting edge stuff to all the popular print magazines. You're going to know this guy. And his partner, friend, colleague, all of the above, right? Dr. Jeff Toll is an internist. So now we're speaking my language, right? Because I'm a primary care guy, family med. Uh, he's an internist, also in LA, specialized in concierge medicine. We're going to talk about that and telehealth. Uh, this guy also, his Rolodex of celebrity clients is quite vast. I can't wait to get into concierge medicine. It's been around a while, but a lot of, I think it's evolved and changed a lot. So gentlemen, welcome. Thank you for having, us. for having us. So well, there's a ton to get to. I want to, I want to just, I'm going to start with you, Dr. Dugar, but Dr. Toll, go ahead and feel free to keep your friend in line here. So I'm going to ask questions. If he deviates from and starts, you know, telling me stuff that's not accurate, I want you to like break us up and talk, but we're going to get to you. And then Dr. Dugar, you're going to be doing the same thing. All right. So first of all, Dr. Dugar, you have a really unique practice that's dedicated to this type of rhinoplasty called scarless nose surgery. Let's talk a bit about that. That's right. So I uh, focused my entire practice on one procedure because I love the idea of mastery. I've always been obsessed with mastery when it came to chefs, when it came to fighters, when it came to cooking, anything. I just love the idea of mastery. And so for me as a surgeon, especially, I love the idea of being really good at what I do rather than being mediocre at a bunch of surgeries. So I decided I'm going to do one and it's worked out really well. Well, tell us about this technique because it's really, this is interesting. I and mean, this is what I can't wait to talk to my buddy about because, you know, he, he practices in Beverly Hills, as I said, and now I can like have some common ground to talk to him about other Absolutely. than the so, other stuff. So nose jobs are typically done through a, what's called an open approach. You make a small cut at the base of the nose, lift up the hood of the nose, and you're able to take apart the entire nose, much akin to rebuilding a house from scratch. Versus what I do is called closed rhinoplasty, where everything's done from inside the nostrils. We finesse the nose, much akin to remodeling a house, to just make the nose a little bit of the softer, smaller, prettier version, but leaves the roots intact. Gotcha. So less painful? Way less painful. Way less painful. recovery time? Yep. Seven days back to life. I'm in. Seven days? Seven yeah. days. Did you yeah. hear that, everybody? Seven days. That's a week. We've taken vacations a lot longer than that. That's that's amazing because when I think about years ago, when you know I was you know twenty plus years ago, this is like way way different than it was. It used to they'd stick you up in a hotel for like a month and you'd like stay there and you couldn't leave. So seven days, it's amazing. So and is it more natural looking, right? That's the whole goal of what I do. Scarless nose. 
it's not about whether I make a cut or don't make a cut outside the nose. It's the philosophy. I think people are way better looking than they think they are. And most of my patients, I actually turned down about 30 to 40% of my patients. I love that part of you. That's amazing. You know, my friend always says, I'm changing lives. And, and it's so true. You are changing lives. And it's, it's a huge thing. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Teenagers make up a large part of your practice. Yes, a large part. I mean, so a lot of people may be thinking, oh, you know, the, these people are too young and and this and that. I mean, tell us how you approach that. I mean, I let's say I bring my daughter in and I say, hey, you know, you, you know, she's bugging me about this, that and the other. How would you approach a patient like that? Yeah, great question. So teenagers are the most common because when you're a kid, you know, the number one thing you look at is your face and how your facial features are evolving. Your body's still evolving every day. Your facial features kind of get to their maximum growth potential around age 13, 14, 15, 16-ish for most teenagers. So the nose is something that usually when you're younger, you think about. As you get older, you think about less. So the number one plastic surgery procedure for age uh, 13 to 20 is the nose. Number one procedure from 20 to, tw- to 30 is the breast, and number two becomes nose. And then as you go older, the nose starts dropping down the list. So nose is a young man's sport, young, young patient sport. 16 to 30 is really the demographic for noses. And the reason it uh, seems really young, I get it, um, but it's kind of like peak performance, peak performance living and enhancement. There's some 16-year-olds who have tutors and there's some who don't. There's some 16-year-olds who have uh, swim coaches and there's some who don't. Yeah, I mean, it's the center of the face. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it makes you or breaks you. I mean, and then we become so focused on it, especially now. We're going to talk about the whole COVID thing, you know, and now like everybody is like, you know, staring at themselves in a Zoom or whatever. But uh, it, it's amazing. Tell me, and this is really fascinating, and I know we could talk forever on this, but tell us a little bit about Mia Khalifa's nose. And why don't you, t- first of all, tell us about Mia Khalifa and, and you oh, know, my- explain the whole story. She is an absolute sweetheart. She's one of the sweetest, nicest, most gentle hearts and has been through so much in her lifetime and really put such a deep purpose to her pain. A lot of people who've been through what she's been through would probably just be addicted to drugs and alcohol and living a very subpar, mediocre life. Instead, she decided to take a path of complete independent freedom. And she literally looks at herself as a beacon of hope for young children that, hey, don't make the same mistakes I did. Um, Not about going into the industry, but if you do, don't become powerless the way she did. And she's really inspiring for the young kids. And she has this huge following, uh, you know, 22 million people on Instagram, um, almost the same number on TikTok. And this whole Gen Z group has really taken her as like their hero. They love her. Now, how did you meet her? Um, So a friend of hers got her nose done by me. And then um, she is the one who referred Mia because Mia's always been insecure about her nose. She, She has a big nose, you know, it's part of her Lebanese ethnic heritage. And she was always insecure about it. And she had seen a couple of consults from some uh, very prominent plastic surgeons in Beverly Hills who always wanted to completely reconstruct and give her this tiny little nose because it technically looks better, but she didn't want that. She wanted to have the same nose, just a little bit smaller. And when she learned about me and what we do with Scarless Nose, she was sold. So as soon as we met, we were two kindred spirits and had a great relationship. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This culture, like I was saying earlier, we're constantly looking at ourselves. This pandemic has just changed the world in so many ways. It's, it's crazy. So let's go on to Dr. Toll. Let's talk this pandemic because this has changed everybody's life. And I know that it's changed a lot. And I know that you're, okay, so Dr. Toll, you're a concierge doctor at Good Life Medical Services. That's, is that right? My practice is just my name, Jeff Toll, MD. Okay. I have a second company since the pandemic started that's really focused on COVID testing, making COVID testing readily available, timely with timely results. And that, that business is called Good Life Medical Services. So you definitely are the definition of pivoting on a dime. Well, <laughs> he's shaking his head. <laughs> what concierge medicine means is uh, we are doctors who are a little more readily available for our patients. So instead of seeing you know 20 or 30 patients a day, we're seeing more like five or six patients a day where we're able to have time with our patients, establish really great relationships, and just have time to sort of solve all their medical needs. So when it's not the pandemic, that means we're being very proactive about people's health putting them into wellness programs, getting their, you know, everything from their physical to mental health on point so that they can run their businesses and do whatever they're doing. Right. When the pandemic struck, all of my patients wanted to be able to know they could get testing immediately with results the next day for themselves and their family and their businesses. Um, and that became something I started working on very early on in the process. Um, and then we sort of were able to scale it now to the point where uh, we're doing hundreds of tests per day on uh, the individual people in the public. We have a drive through in West Hollywood, another one in Newport Beach, uh, and we're able to get people results in about 24 hours, sometimes 48 hours. Um, and basically, a lot of businesses are now using us to reopen in a much safer way than they were able to when the first reopen happened. So I have a lot of warehouses, productions, like commercials, TV, where we're testing uh, the whole business either once a week, twice a week, three times a week. So right. I feel like we were able to solve a problem that the government really wasn't able to solve and being able to get timely testing with easy to get results. I mean, that's really been a huge key in terms of containing this thing. We're not going to stop this. And I, you know, I've been, like I said, I've been doing family medicine for 24 years now. So I'm, I'm a little, you know, I've been around a little bit and, and I, you know, what I try to tell people early on is like, listen, this is not, we're not going to put this out. This is not like a fire that we're going to put out. We can contain it much like the wildfire anywhere else. It's about containment and minimizing damage, but there's a lot of confusion about testing. There's a lot of, you know, and I think a lot of it is just social media and a lot of it is just the news. And people are, I don't think I've ever seen more people so fixated on the news. And I, and I think a lot of it is fear. I think pe the fear of the unknown, but you got to know the source of the information and it's very easy to get, and we're stuck at home, which is even worse. So what, what do you think about the testing and the confusion and accuracy? I mean, give me your, your, your thoughts on that? I totally agree. It's so confusing. There's so many different tests. There's PCR tests and antibody tests. There's rapid tests. And even within each of those categories, there's multiple different companies that make them, multiple different places you can go for them. And so part of what I've tried to do is um, be honest 
about what are the right tests that we should be doing and have that as the only option we're selling on the, you know, online, you can find people willing to sell you these finger prick fake tests that they're buying overseas. But we want to be, you know, I think part of what's unfortunate is people are, uh, companies taking advantage of the pandemic to offer services that aren't really helpful. Yeah. Um, and so in terms of what do the tests mean and what are the different ones? So the PCR test, which all, a lot of people hear about is the one that goes up and tickles your brain. Um, that's really just a swab. Nasal of, swab, right. A nasal swab. And what we're looking for is the genetic material of the virus itself. And we're, we're testing, is that virus present in your body? at the moment we're swabbing it. That's the most accurate test that we have to, to see if the virus is there. And I think, and before you go to that, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, and I think the confusing thing about that test is, first of all, it's technique-based, right? If you don't really get up there to where the colonization is, to where the source is, you may get a false negative. And I think the other confusing part of this is that you may get positive results that doesn't necessarily mean you're infectious or you're, you're, that you're spreading virus or that you're, you know, so talk a little bit about, you know, technique and, and where the confusion is with, with that. Those are both great questions. So um, in terms of technique, the virus is the most likely to be up high up in the nasal passages, which is why we use that long swab. Right. Um, there's been a few studies out of different countries comparing swabbing up high there as opposed to lower in the nasal passages, just sort of in the nose part versus in the back of the throat. And it's thought to be something like 80% likely to get it up in the highest part, 60% in the lower nasal passages, and maybe like 40 to 50% in the back of the throat. So gotcha. a lot of people who will go to a physician will say, hey, I have nasal problems or I have sinus problems. Please don't swab me up there. And I'll tell them, listen, I can swab you lower and we can send that sample, but we may have this thing called a sampling error, which is that you really truly have the infection, but we don't pick it up on a sample because we're swabbing the wrong place. Gotcha. So false negative in a sense? So the test itself, typically when we hear the word, yeah, so the test itself is accurate. So the test isn't a false negative. It's a sampling error. So we're not picking up the, the, the genetic material of the virus and thus you get a negative test. And so, yes, that would be considered a false negative. Yeah. And you know, a lot, and I tell my patients too, I say, listen, it is, it, it's not like they're just going to go barely inside the nose. It needs to get up there. As you said, you got to tickle the brain. Obviously we're not tapping on the brain, but you're only fooling yourself or you're only it's, it's, if you want to just have them swab down low, that's fine. But you just right. have to know that the test is going to be less accurate. And so, Not a great confidence interval. Yeah, no, no, I, it's exactly. The other side being, um, I think you were mentioning the false, the potential of a false positive. Right. And so people who are actually shedding virus versus not. So there's two things that I would call a false positive. One would be where we swab you and there's actually nothing there and you get a positive result. That's a false positive. What we have with this PCR test is also something where this PCR thing, we're looking for, as I said, the genetic material of the virus. So you can pick up the RNA of the virus. What we can't tell is, is that virus still alive in your body? Or are these just dead fragments of the virus that you had a week ago or two weeks ago or three weeks ago? Right. There is the possibility where we see in the news, we read about people who have tested positive a month after their infection. And the question is, are they truly infected again, or are these just dead fragments that are positive? 
And so a lot of times, especially I've been testing a lot of like movies and TV shows where we'll get someone in the crew positive and then we wait until they test negative in order to go back out onto the set. But the problem is we don't know when that, right. When they're truly not infectious anymore. So to be safe, we're quarantining them until they swab negative, but they may actually be negative prior to that. It's, it's difficult. Yeah. And so you said that in that, in those sentences, you said it's, there are so many maybes, may this, the, the bottom line is to call it novel is an understatement. <laughs> it is about as new as it can. I mean, we talk these days now, when we talk about new, we talk about things that have been around three or four years. There's a lot of unknowns. And I think, you know, all of your points are really valid and they're spot on. And the, the problem is like in a month from now, what we're talking about may not even be valid anymore. It's so frustrating for people. So down the pike, you know, there's these rapid antigen tests that we're doing that are, you know, in the White House, for example, they're able to do these tests where you get a six, a result in about six to 12 minutes and they're slightly less accurate. But the problem is they, the companies aren't able to produce enough test kits to make this gotcha. really available worldwide. I think one point I always try to get to is that as much as the testing is helpful, it's only really helpful if the turnaround time is fast enough for people to quarantine. Right. If you have to wait a week for a result, there's no point of taking the test in the first place. And so, the in my opinion, the countries that beat COVID, when we're talking about South Korea, New Zealand, these are countries that beat COVID with masks, testing with fast turnaround time, and contact tracing. Right. They this country is spending so much money testing people where results come back seven days later that are essentially useless tests. Right. No, and you're exactly but right. It's not making this go away. So the, the way we mitigate the spread, which we're not doing, is being diligent with the mask wearing and the quarantining. And that's what we're not doing. And our country is we have too many freedoms. <laughs> no, I and listen, we can get into this all day. We could like spend hours on this. And I just tell people, just do what you're supposed to do. That's what I leave it at. We all know around maybe what, seven or eight, nine years old, right from wrong. I know that, you know, robbing a bank is a bad idea. I know that driving 150 miles an hour on the freeway is a bad idea. So I don't do that. You know, and here's another thing that I'm interested to see your thought on this. So one of the things I tell my patients is this, because there are a lot of patients, there are a lot of people in general all over that say, well, you know, the mask doesn't do anything. Okay. That's your opinion. So I say to them, all right, so let me give you a situation. I'm going to put you in a small room, a four feet square room with four people who are known COVID positive, who are known actively shedding virus COVID positive. Now I'm going to give you a choice. You can wear a mask or not. What do you think you would like to do? And what is their answer 100% of the time? Well, of course, I'm going to wear a mask. Okay. And I leave it at that. So that's the process. And you're absolutely right. Just do what we're supposed to do. And I think we're going to be way ahead of this thing. And I think a missing part of that question would also be to add, would you prefer that those other three people are wearing <laughs> That's good. I'm going to, can I add that? I've given you full credit, of course. But you're absolutely right. I mean- The point is- if everyone wears it, the sick person doesn't spread it right. as easily. And then the other person has l even less. These are not perfect. It's not any, you know, these are not 100% effective. But the point is, all we need is that 
every day there are less people with the virus than the day before. And then the next day, less people with it the day before. And then eventually it ends. But the way we're doing it now without the mass is we're going up. We're going up, 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 and it's never going to go away. Right. So Dr. Duger, let me ask you this. So 1% seems like a small amount, right? 1%. But if I told you that I'm going to put your name in a hat with 99 other names, so you get a one in a hundred chance of winning a billion, billion with a B, billion dollars. You only have a 1% chance. Would you want to get in that contest or you'd be like, yeah, it's only 1%. I don't even bother me. No, we'd get in the contest. <laughs> that's right. <We> that money. <laughs> exactly. You know, and the, that's the point. I, I don't care how limited or minimal it protects you. 1% is better than 0%. I want skin in the game. I want anything I can get to protect us from this. Bottom line is this kills people. Yeah, I mean, do you want your food servers to wear gloves? I mean, most of the bacteria won't get on the burger. Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's, we can go on and on about this. So let's talk a little bit. Let's, let's switch gears a little bit. Now, there's no such thing as virtual surgery yet. Yet. Right. Yeah. It, I'm sure it's going to happen. I'll probably be long gone by then, but you know, you'll be right in the thick of it. But so what is this whole pandemic? What has this done to your practice? I mean, wow. tell us. Yeah. So the first two months, March, April, uh, it really became we have to do something from home. There was no practice. We were completely shut down. So we completely strategized and digitalized our entire practice. We went online and we did consults every single day. And I was busier than ever, but just doing online consults all of March and April and into May. Um, so that was amazing. We reached out to all our patients. We, we, we let everyone know that we're doing digital consults. We're available. I was doing, you know, sometimes 10 to 20 a day. Then wow. as soon as we were, the restrictions were lifted and we were able to come back to work, we went slowly on purpose because, you know, we want, you know, look around and make sure the neighbors aren't dying from going to work. And, you know, when we realized that everyone's doing okay, we, we went back and, um, you know, end of May, uh, June, July, August, it's been so busy. And I'll tell you the truth, people are taking advantage, you know, God bless the people who don't have the means and that are sick and dealing with bad things right now, but the people who do have the means and are just, you know, kind of bored sitting at home. If you have thought about plastic surgery before, it's never been a better time because before the problem was, hey, I want to get my nose done, but uh, I don't know when I'm going to do it. Now right. it's like, I want to get my nose done and can I do it tomorrow? Right. Now, and I'm assuming you're, you've probably, because I know my buddy, his whole office, the whole, you know, the way it runs now in terms of sanitation and hygiene, it's, I mean, you must have spent a lot of money and effort and I can't even imagine. I mean, tell us some of the things that people can feel comfortable about when they come in to see you. Okay. Well, one thing is that all the staff are wearing N95s. The surgeons wow. are what are called P100s. So these are the respirators that we wear when we do surgery. That's no joke. Every single patient's being tested uh, prior to surgery. And I would say, um, this is not even just a plug for my buddy, but- I was going to say, you got a guy right next to you that helps you with that. <laughs> he, he's testing my patients. And, and the results do come back in 24 hours. It's quite ama amazing. Dr. Toll has created an amazing testing machine. Uh, and it's all PCR, real tests. Like we don't do any of the, the blood antibody tests. We're doing real PCR tests. So every single patient has to be tested. The staff is routinely tested. I test myself once a week. So we are being as diligent as possible to make sure that we provide the safest environment. Everyone's temperature screened. Everyone signs COVID consents. Everyone's mask mandatory. Right. I mean, I've heard too, I know there's people using ultraviolet light as a cleansing. We have that as well. We have an ultraviolet machine that cleans the rooms between patients. Right. 
That's, I mean, listen, you got your buddy right next to you. He should be able to like, give you like, you know, a little bit of a deal on all these tests. I mean, (laughs) come on, Dr. Toll, don't hold out on you, but this is your buddy. No, I mean, it's, it's really incredible what we've had to do to ensure the safety of our patients. And, you know, it's people need to seek their care. You cannot disregard care because of fear. It, you you need to care for your your diabetics, your hypertensive. I mean, all of these people that I see, and I know Dr. Toll, you can you can attest to this. People are afraid, but that doesn't mean you know. When you looked at the ERs over the last several months, you know, there's no magic that suddenly the incidence of chest pain and heart attacks and strokes just stopped happening. These things were happening, but we there were a lot of things that were missed. So I think letting people know that we've created a safe environment and we are proceeding with caution, whether it's having a rhinoplasty or your nose done or going in to get your blood pressure checked or your sugar, whatever it is, just, yeah, people need to, I think a big message in this whole thing is recognize that the medical community, I think far and wide, maybe this doesn't speak for everybody, far and wide, we are doing everything we can to ensure their safety. Agreed. I have a buddy who's a radiation oncologist and he was telling me that when they went back to work full time and everyone kind of started coming again, they have never seen this much incidence of stage four cancer. Uh, because yes. they had stage my heart. cancer, just delayed going to the doctor for two months. And then all of a sudden now they have lung mats, they have brain mats that they wouldn't have had had they followed their regimen properly. Right. So I could not agree more. Please go see your doctors. 99% are following the rules and regulations and doing exactly what they need to protect your safety. Yeah. I, and I think that's the biggest thing that really is, you know, when you look at, you know, it, it, you know, disease rates, morbid, morbidity, mortality, and you look at deaths annually from things, you know, every year it's upwards. Uh, I mean, you probably know this, Dr. Toll, what, six, seven hundred, you know, thousand people a year die from cardiovascular disease. This is the one year that it's not going to get first place, but I guarantee you it'll be right behind it and it'll be next year where it's going to go back to number one. And, you know, Dr. Dugar, you talk about cancer, you talk about all of these things. These diseases are present. They're here. They're, they've been here for years. They're not going away. Suddenly, this stupid COVID thing pops in and just, you know, has its moment. But I will tell you, these other disease entities and the morbidity and mortality related to them is going to come back. And I hope people just embrace the fact that taking care of yourself and doing these things, as you guys are mentioning, is super important. Yeah, I've really tried to get this really in my patients' minds too, that their uncontrolled diabetes is just as dangerous to you as, you know, COVID potentially. Right. Especially because COVID is a theoretical risk. You know, there's a there's a risk whenever you drive a car of getting in a car accident. There's a risk. A lot of things have a potential risk, but we know your diabetes, if you don't control it, is definitely a Right. At least in my practice, I've tried to make this an easy process for them. So we've hired a whole bunch of phlebotomists that are going to people's homes to draw blood in the backyard and then pairing that with a virtual visit so that they don't have to leave their home, you know, for the elderly, for diabetics, all things like this to make it just easier on them. I think this has been a real big opportunity for us to explore what in medicine doesn't work. I think one of the one things the government did that was good in this whole thing was <laughs> the one thing. <laughs> I think the one thing the government did right was to say that virtual visits should be reimbursed for the doctors the same as regular visits to allow people it's like why shouldn't Hallelujah. We, yes. 85 year old who's had a stroke who doesn't drive anymore 
could actually call their doctor and say, hey, I'm having a little chest pain. What should I do? Instead of the, oh, doctor can't see you unless you come in. I mean, it, it's right. crazy how the old system was working. Well, you know, we we learned, you know, to use that term I used earlier, we we really pivoted on a dime on this. We went from 10% virtual and 90% face-to-face to the opposite, almost overnight. Now, and I don't think that uh, that's obviously sustainable, nor should it be, but I think somewhere 50, 50, 60, 40 is a sweet spot. Yeah, it depends. It depends on the specialty. You know, as an internist, I definitely want to examine someone once a year and listen to Correct. their code and they need an EKG and some things like that. But for a blood pressure follow-up check, there's so many devices out there, these Bluetooth blood pressure cuffs. You can get EKGs at home. There's so if people had their mind to making the the system different, they, you know, we're doing it in my practice. I know other colleagues that are doing it in their practices, but I think in 10 years from now, medicine is going to look very, very different than it, than it looks now. And I think this was a big opportunity and impetus for us to change our practices. Yeah. Even with cosmetics, I'm doing just as many virtual consults as I do in person now. Okay. So let me ask you something now that you, since you brought it up, Dr. Dugar, going back to the virtual consults. Now, obviously, now I know that with age is when I told you I'm knocking on 52. When or maybe has it happened already? Has the tip of my nose started to change? Like what, what, when is this? Talk a little bit about this because again, this is not something we could do virtually. You can look at it, but get, let's, let's hear a little bit about this. Great question. So as you age, there's this big myth. Everyone thinks that as you get older, your nose grows, right? There's this myth that your nose and ears grow. Your ears, right. <laughs> yeah. And so what it is, is not that they grow. Okay. It's that everything like your breast, your arms, your legs, everything's gravity dependent. And so heavier parts of your body will always fall prey to gravity, including your nose. And the tip of your nose does have a predilection to fall as we get older, especially if you already had a dependent tip. If you didn't have a dependent tip, then it might not fall that much. But we see this a lot, especially in older celebrities, as they continue filming and doing their movies or their TV shows, they look at their stuff and they say, dude, my nose does not look the same. And so they'll come in and we'll do little tiny things. Sometimes they can't do surgery. So we do a technique that I love doing called a nose lift, where I'll inject a little bit of filler, a little bit of Botox at the base of their nose. The filler acts like a plumping graft, which is a surgical term for a support beam to lift up. And the Botox decreases the muscular activity of the special muscle that pulls our nose down. So by releasing that muscle and giving some support with the filler, we can in one, two minutes, create a little bit of a lift to the older nose. So we're like retrofitting a building for earthquakes. That's exactly right. <laughs> and it's going to be temporary, just like that retrofitting. <laughs> That's right. Well, if you're in California, you'll know exactly what that means. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's how much is genetics in terms of your nose? I know I have my father's nose and, you know, it, you can't see it because I'm looking at you straight on. But if you see my profile, you'd be like, oh, man. <laughs> so how much is genetics? And, and we we don't we can't really genetically manipulate ourselves again. Another yet. It's going to happen, I'm sure. Yeah. But how much of it is genetics and and what do you do? Yeah, I think about 80% of our faces are genetic. And then 20% is based on environmental factors. So trauma, um, you know, even when you're a kid, you know, having a deviated septum in the inside of your nose can literally come from when you're a four month old learning how to crawl and you fall on your face and you cry, your mom gives you milk and then it's all over, right? But that little micro fracture that happened in the septum now makes your septum grow two centimeters left 
than it should be. So little micro fractures like that, or you're 16 and you get hit in the face playing basketball or volleyball. These little things can cause traumas and micro traumas that cause things to bend in ways they're not supposed to. Uh, but I would say 80% are probably genetic, 20% is environmental. So like you guys remember the Brady Bunch, yeah. right? Yeah. So Marsha, 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 when she gets hit with the ball. Yeah. So it's safe to say she had a deviated septum moving forward. Absolutely. And a lot of girls have been hit on purpose to get their nose job. <laughs> right. So she could come to see you and like correct that. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go back. Not that I'm, you know, this COVID thing is just beating us all down. It's like everywhere we look, but I, I want to talk a little bit about hope. What do we think? And, you know, both of you guys, I'm sure I have opinions. Where are we going with this? What do you guys think? And I, I get it. We're not going to like put this in stone and we're not going to hold you to it. This is all conjecture. I think even Dr. Fauci's words are conjecture and they evolve and everything changes. It's, just, it's like liquid, right? It's constantly evolving. What do you guys think? Well, I would say um, as far as how does this end, it seems like our only real way out in this country at least, is, is a vaccine coming um, or herd immunity. It's sort of one or the other. And so the vaccine is the artificial way that you create herd immunity. And herd immunity means when there's enough people in the population who can't get it anymore, it slows down the spread to a point where each day there's less people who had it than the day before until it goes to zero. It's like when you were a kid and you had like chicken pox and your, your mom would send you to your buddy's house and say, go hang out with him so you would get chicken pox. Because it's better as a kid than to have it as an adult. You don't have all the complications or as much, I should say. And so one of the reasons why other infections like the flu are seasonal is because some people had it the year before, some people had the vaccine. And so that slows down the spread enough that it sort of peters out at the end of the winter each year. Whereas this, no one had immunity to. So it just continues to spread. I think we don't really have a true sense of how many people in various areas have had it. The testing's getting better. It's getting cheaper. The turnaround time's getting better. There's going to be more rapid tests coming down the pike. Uh, if I was the government, what I would do is spend much more of the money that they're spending on testing rather than all this other stuff that's not helping. So as much as we want to give these people who have lost their jobs $600 a week, I think it would be make more sense to test people six days a week and let them work. Um, you know, it's a personal. great point. It's a really great point. I've never heard it put that way, but that, it's a great point. I mean, I, I think of the days where, well, a couple things. Like, first of all, how many of us have like gone out with friends and like someone's sniffling and congestion and you're like, oh yeah, I'm just getting over a cold. That ain't happening anymore, <laughs> right? So the days of like, yeah, I just got a little cold. Don't worry about it. Those days are over, right? <laughs> I think for a while, I do think it's going to go away. Once we, once we really do have a vaccine, assuming American people are willing to take it, which is a whole nother thing. Oh, uh, that's like, a, yeah, that's a week long. That's like a, a retreat discussion about that. We can go, I know. You know, the other thing is, is really like, you talk about herd immunity and, and be, you know, vaccines. But how long does your immunity last? Yeah, well, that's so important because no one's talking about the data in terms of once people get it, what are their reinfection rates right now? We're not right. really looking at those details as closely as we should be. Who are the type of people getting it and what were their environmental factors that caused them to get it? You know, we're not looking at all the socioeconomic data. People who wear masks every day go to work around people who wear masks and go home and stay around a masked environment. Are they getting it? Right. You know, it's the mask data. You know, so I think the data is just not being looked at deep enough. 
Yeah, it, there's going to be so much that comes. Here's what I, the one thing, and I've been saying this to so many of my colleagues for months, and I've, I'm starting to get confident that I'm actually right. I, I'm curious what you guys say. I think we are going to have the nicest, kindest flu season ever. Yeah. And that's without the vaccine. Now we have a vaccine, which, you know, the average vaccine rates are probably, I don't know, 40% if that, if you're lucky, right? But I think there's going to be a fear factor. People are going to be people who are on the fence. I mean, there's going to be those non-vaccine people. I get it. And, you know, whatever. But there are people on the fence who are going to be like, you know what? I'm going to get it. But beyond that, it's the hygiene. It's the hand washing. It's the the masks. It's the, you know, I'm not going out if I have a sore throat. You know, I think our flu season, and if you look at Australia's numbers so far, because, you know, they're they're having their flu season or just wrapping it up. Their numbers have been vastly low in terms of influenza. I think, I mean, call me crazy, but I, my mom has been telling me to wash my hands since I was a little kid and, you know, cover your, your, you know, your face when you speak or you, you sneak all of these things people are actually doing now. And I think, I, I think it's going to translate into not only helping eradicate or at least control COVID, but I think we're going to create a better environment for the upcoming flu season. What do you guys think? I hope you're right. <laughs> I think that that definitely makes sense. But again, that's assuming that people actually do <laughs> that. The, we don't forget giving them credit for doing what they're not doing because we know. I, I know. We, we know in the countries where they did it, like Australia, New Zealand, the the the, the rates go down, and in the U.S., the U.S. is really the only place where you see, you know, two hundred fifty thousand bikers, you know, meeting up all together. This doesn't happen in other countries. And so we are the only countries who have levels that we have are countries that are so poor and uneducated where they literally can't distance, right? They can't afford mass. We're talking about India, Brazil, where there's people packed, in, you know, multiple family members in one home. No, ma And the sad thing is, we don't really think about in America, there's two societies. There's there are people who are living like they live in Brazil, where there's three families in one small place and they can't afford masks. They, they're not as educated. And those are the people that are getting COVID and spreading COVID. Well, you know, so I was born in this country, but my father's from Mexico. So I, and my mom and I, so I'm, you know, I'm Mexican. I speak Spanish fluently. And I will tell you, the Latino population has gotten pummeled by this. And it's for exactly what you just said. They're the people who work in these type of very tight environments. They're on top of each other. They're in factories. They're in kitchens. They're out in, in you know, outside working in, in the agriculture area. You look at the San Joaquin Valley where I grew up. These people are getting really just hammered by this. They also, it's the socioeconomic elements. I mean, there are so many things to me that make sense as to why this population is being affected like this. And I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I would just say... I hope people just do what they're supposed to do at the end of the day. And my, I, I'm curious what your guys' take. I tell people there's five things you got to do, COVID or not, flu or not, general wellness. You got you to move and stay active. You got to drink plenty of water. You have to avoid smoking. And if you do smoke, always be trying to quit. You have to follow a sustainable, likable, doable diet that's healthy and balanced. And above all, you have to manage your stress. You have to respect your stress, understand what stress is in your life, have your coping mechanisms. People do not respect stress. And I think that that is a big, big hit on your immune system. 
Yeah, I think on on our on our podcast, uh, Modern Prescription, one of the things we talk about our modern prescription is that you know how connected the mental health part is with the physical health, and I think right. people, you know, always want what's my crash diet I can get in one day? What's my crash exercise to lose this weight in one day? Instead of sustainable practices for your mind and your body to sleep better, to eat better, to feel better. Um, and, and I think one of the things we have in common, whether we're talking about your physical appearance or your, your physical health, we, we both want to make people feel good and feel healthier and feel good about themselves and, and, and live a better lifestyle. And I think, uh, you know, he calls himself a, a psychiatrist with a scalpel yep. and, uh, and I always love that. And so, yeah, what's your, what's your take? No, I completely Closing thoughts. Let's hear it. That's where me and Dr. Tool on Modern Prescription really blend well because we look at, he looks at medicine and I look at surgery as a sword that should be wielded with a lot of responsibility. You don't just dole it out. And so we right, really put patients it. holistically. And that's what I loved about Dr. Tool is that he's very similar to me, that we are real doctors, just like you are, Dr. Mike. And we care about our patients. We don't just want to get them in and out and use our weapon. You know, we, if we don't have to use a sword, if he doesn't have to prescribe a pill and I don't have to do a surgery, it's even better. And so our whole thing is a holistic wellness and that's what you promote. And that's what we love to be on the show today. So uh, you guys mentioned it, but I want to make sure everybody gets this message. Modern prescription. Where can we find you guys, Dr. Toll and Dr. Dugard? And I'm, I'm going to track you guys down because I'm up in LA because I love you guys. I love your, your philosophy. I love the way you approach this. It, I think medicine is a beautiful thing. It's not about money. It's about resting at night knowing that you're changing lives, whether that's changing the nose or whether it's fixing someone's blood pressure. It is infectious in that that person's wellness really translates to the wellness of their friends and their family. And that's why we do this job. And I think it's important. So how do we find you guys? Tell us about Modern Prescription. Where do we, where do we find you guys? All right, Modern Prescription, you can find us. We're streaming on all platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcast, and as well on YouTube. You can watch the whole video if you just want to see Jeff's you beautiful, wanna, you sexy hair. <laughs> hair. Yeah, last, well, it's an important part of it. Our last episode, we delved into the hair. We talked about his hair tips because I shampoo twice a day. He told me he doesn't shampoo even twice a week sometimes. One of these guys. His hair versus mine, so he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Listen, you guys have been a, a real treat. It's been a ton of fun, and I really want to thank you guys. Uh, you know, so much to learn. We could just, this the time goes so quick, but I really appreciate you guys taking time to spend uh, with us. Thank you. Thank you for having you us. And you bet. Listeners, if anyone wants to follow us on Instagram too, both of us have a lot of uh, interesting stuff to talk about there too. So I'm Jeff Toll, MD. And I'm Deepak Dugar, MD on Instagram. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Well, that's it, guys. That's it, everybody. That was a great, great show. A lot of great stuff. I could go on forever. I just love these guys' philosophy. Thanks for spending some time with us. We talked a little plastic surgery. We talked a little COVID. We talked a little health and wellness, all the uh, important stuff. Have a great day. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen to Wellness Inc. with me, Dr. Mike. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks, gentlemen. See you soon. The Wellness Inc. with Dr. Mike Moreno podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. 
For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional. Thank you.